turn in your Bibles now to 1 Peter 2, verses 11, 1 Peter 2, 11, all the way through chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 through 3, 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as, a, as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only those who are good and gentile, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, for if the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds... You were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have turned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives, submissive, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair and wearing of gold jewelry or putting on of dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened, by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with, some, with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So ends the reading of God's word. Many of you probably have seen the, the, the movie The Matrix, uh, maybe younger ones, maybe not. I'm dating myself by referring to this. It's a 
radar movie with a bit that's a bit violent, so anyway, be warned if you haven't seen it. But anyway, uh, I won't try to explain the, uh, the, the rather complicated plot of this science fiction film, but in one scene, the, the hero of the film, Nero, uh, Neo, excuse me, sees a computer-generated image of an attractive woman wearing red. And, and uh, he is sort of guilty of not watching his eyes, and uh, the woman sort of turns his head, so to speak. Uh, later, the designer of this image asked Neo if he liked the image, and stated later that he felt that to deny the impulses like the one that it prompted Neo to look at the woman in red was to deny that which makes us uniquely human. Now, this is very, a very representative thought uh, of our own day and age. Um, people just think, oh, we're, we're born that way, and so we just do as uh, our nature tells us to do, to give in to whatever impulse that we have. But this thinking is exactly wrong, if you can use that phrase. The ability of man to deny impulses uh, that the basic impulses of, uh, uh, that come from our nature is one of the main things that distinguishes us from an animal. An animal simply acts purely on the basis of whatever impulse comes to them. If you own a pet, you know exactly what I mean. Now, our text this evening opens by calling upon its listeners to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Peter has in mind fighting against sinful impulses that come from our sinful nature that exist within our souls. And he speaks of them warring against our souls because these impulses are often very strong. And denying them is often not an easy thing. As believers, we know that we have the Holy Spirit working within us, and yet we still struggle against this sinful nature that is warring against the redeemed nature that we have in Christ. So in our sermon this evening, we're going to be discussing the subject of submission. And the sinful impulse that we have inside of us is to rebel against authority, rebel against anyone telling us, what to do. Our sinful nature does not possess within it the desire to submit really to anything and certainly takes no joy in true submission as the, the, the title of our sermon this evening would suggest that we need to do. Uh, well, Peter had no doubt has more in his mind than just submission in these verses, verse 11. Um, this verse does introduce our subject for this evening rather well. We at heart are basically rebels, and we need to war against rebellious desires that are within us. Now, as Peter has done a few times already in this letter, he tells his reader that they are aliens and strangers in this world. But those who rebel against authority show themselves to be seeking a home in this world. They're trying to secure sort of a better place for themselves in this world without thinking uh, about eternal matters, about where their, their uh, 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 eternal destiny is. Verse tw 12, Peter instructs his readers to think about the day of visitation. Probably the main thing to which Peter is referring in this statement is the day of judgment. 
In other words, Peter is telling his readers to focus their attention beyond this current world in which we are living and live for something greater than simply giving in to your impulses in the here and now. Giving in to these, desi- these, these, these impulses or feelings that simply wish to cause you to gratify them immediately. Specifically, Peter tells them that they need to live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, as you think about this topic of submission tonight, this verse gives you the, the perspective from which Peter intends for us to consider this matter. If you look at the text, you will notice there are three kinds of relationships described where submission is needed. Uh, Citizens to civil leaders, to government leaders, slaves to masters, and finally, wives to husbands. Now, in Scripture, there are at least two other kinds of relationships where there are special requirements for submission. Um, Beyond, of course, the, the general uh, instruction in scripture that uh, believers are submit themselves to each other. Um, and th- those special relationships are, are children to parents and, al- and also church members to uh, the leaders within the church. Now, it might be curious why it is that these kinds of relationships aren't mentioned here in this passage. Um, but I think there's a, maybe a reason we can kind of discern if we look at the whole book of 1 Peter. As you mentioned before, Peter in this book is instructing Christians how to face persecution. Now, Peter, now in, who in Peter's day would have most likely been sources of persecution for the Christian? Well, people who had authority over them, like the government or a master, or a husband. In all the cases I can think of in the New Testament where children are seen as coming to Christ, they're always, they seem to be part of a family. So it's probably, at this point, not so common that children are persecuted by unbelieving parents, though certainly those adult children might be rejected by their families. And, and hopefully no one was suffering persecution for being a Christian by church leaders at this point uh, in, in uh, the, the time when Peter is writing. So these instructions to submit are given to people who are in general have unbelieving uh, government leaders or masters or, and husbands and are being persecuted by them. So the command to live good lives among pagans meant in particular being submissive and obedient to the extent that those unbelievers wielding authority over them would be left without excuse on the judgment day or the day of visitation. Either that or they would in fact believe as a result of the faithful witness of their subjects and so on the day of visitation they too will be saved. Both in testimony and in practice the Christian needs to live a life that makes clear the truth of God's word so that those around us who do not believe may glorify God and and come to know Christ or ultimately uh, being brought into greater uh, uh, damnation for rejecting the testimony that had been given to them by those around them. 
So now, as we get into the specific subject of, of sub submission, we look at the first part, submission to government, um, uh, to the government in verses uh, 13 through 17, chapter 2. We will follow this, this, this text uh, section by section, and so we, we, we first turn to uh, the subject of our submission to the, the governing authority, the civil authorities. I think that if any American is honest, they will say that dealing with the subject of submission in America is a difficult one, especially the three topics which are mentioned specifically here. I believe it was John Wesley who, after coming to America uh, to preach the gospel just prior to the American Revolution, he saw to his amazement a sign which said, We serve no sovereign. And after seeing that, he exclaimed, How in the world can I preach the gospel, or anyone preach the gospel, to this people? If you think in those terms, how can you listen to a gospel which is also all about submitting ourselves to our sovereign God? Now, my intention tonight is not to comment upon early American politics, though I think it passages like this uh, to at least cause us to reconsider a little bit uh, the righteousness of the Revolutionary War, whatever patriotic feelings we might have. Uh, while the idea of freedom and what our constitutional framers understood it to mean may have many virtues associated with it, often in our day, freedom means being free from being told by anyone what to do. Uh, the text here, though, warns us against this very thing when it says not to use uh, our freedom as a cover-up for evil. And certainly nowadays, people do not think to obey anyone, even in the government. That obviously doesn't have their, their immediate interests in mind. But our text reads, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Obviously, we uh, obey God rather than men. When there's a conflict between what God says and what the government authority says, we obey for the Lord's sake. And so if the Lord is um, at the forefront of what we are, are thinking and doing as we, we obey, then when, of course, we first obey the Lord and we obey other authorities under his authority and within the uh, limitations which God has given to us in his, uh, in his commandments. So unless, however, we are faced with this kind of conflict when God tells us one thing and other authorities tell us another thing, then we seek to obey and submit to those authorities over us. And makes no mention of exceptions due to the government being corrupt or unjust or not following their own law or constitution. Well, it does bring up some complicated questions uh, that are beyond what we can deal with right now. But remember that this text was written when Nero was the emperor in Rome. And he was not exactly a, a just or kind uh, leader. The, the text here doesn't make exceptions for Christians not obeying the government when the government is it oppressive. Because certainly Rome at this time was oppressive to Christians. 
fact, Peter was even martyred under this government. And so when he speaks this way, uh, he is he's very aware of the challenges that Christians face in submitting themselves to the government. It's most likely that, uh, that, that this is part of the reason Peter wrote about this subject because here because he, he would run against the impulses of the believers to whom he was writing. But unlike the Zionists or the Zealots in Israel at this time who always thought about overthrowing the Roman government and trying to reestablish Israel as God's sort of holy kingdom, Peter calls for submission so that by doing good, they would silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. They are not rebels. They're not fighting the government. We know that many false accusations were made against the early Christians and one of the, the most powerful apologetics or responses to these false accusations was simply living lives, doing good, and being the best citizens of the nation. Now, Justin Martyr, who was an early church father or an apologist of the early church, uh, in his writings, one of his um, strong arguments against the government persecuting Christians was that Simply that Christians were your best citizens at that time. Why are you persecuting the Christians? They pay taxes. They work hard. They're honest. They're not trying to overthrow the Roman government. They want to be your best citizens. If this is true for Peter's recipients, should this not also be much truer for you as well? As frustrated as you may feel with our own government... And as unfair as you may, might feel it, is at times you are called to submit to its laws and obey its leadership. Uh, the situation in our own nation is likely to decline, and there might be more discrimination and even overt persecution against evangelical Christians. It may more and more be the case that we find this happening. But even, remember, even when you feel this impulse to disobey, even when it seems impractical to obey, you are called to submit in faith, knowing that it is right and good for the Lord's sake. Now, they say that you're not supposed to make the pulpit into a confessional. So I may be treading on a little bit of thin ice here, but um, a number of years ago, I think it was, was all the way back in 2004 or so, something like that. Uh, but anyway, I had... A, a uh, invitation to go and preach in the morning service at a church that was a little ways off. And um, Lily and I, we, we slept a little bit later than we should have, and so we got on the road a little bit later than we should have. I take responsibility for that. But anyway, we, we end up leaving for the, for the 9 a.m. service at something like 8.35. And, uh, and uh, the, again, the church was a bit of a distance from our home. And to, to make matters worse... I uh, realized in the way that this is, this is, again, 2004, so we didn't have the GPSs in our, 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 our cars, but I realized that the directions that I got off the Internet had some incorrect names of streets on it, so that made it even more challenging to get to the right uh, place at the right time. So you can imagine my response at the time. I drove a little bit over the speed limit and even went through a red light left, uh, uh, left turn signal at one point and prompting Lily to say to me, I I didn't know that uh, we, we bought a race car. 
Uh, and the whole way I was uh, driving, I kept thinking to myself, oh, this is wrong, that, that God is in control of stoplights and the times, and I should just trust him about the situation and, and, and obey the, the good traffic laws that, that we have in, in this country. However, on the other side of my mind, there was thinking, making up rationalizations for why I needed to do this, and that my stake was really in the past, not the present, and this is sort of had to do this or what have you. And, you know, most, many of the cars are going faster than I am anyway, so maybe it's not a problem. Anyway, I ended up, ended up arriving at the church at about 9.05, and in God's grace, uh, he, he, he kept us from having an accident. But the funny thing was, when I got there, I discovered that actually the 9 a.m. service was 9.30 service, so I was actually the first one there. And so in all of that worry and trouble that I had, I really didn't need to, uh, uh, to, 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 to do anything that was against the law. I would have got there right on time if I had submitted to the, uh, uh, the traffic laws. God knew, knew what he was doing even if I didn't. Now, this may all seem a bit trivial in the grand scheme of things. Uh, maybe it wasn't a very important event. But at the same time, there was a rule established by God by, through, through the, the people he had ordained in power. And I do not trust, and obey. And in the end, God showed himself to make provision even when I was careless. So now if you identify me on this and ask yourselves, if you can't trust and obey the government, um, God, and, and submit to the, the government in, in, in simple ways like this, are, really, are you really going to obey when it comes to the point when the pressure is really on and when, when persecution makes submission painful? Um, you'll have to be always reminded that you, you don't ever need to sin to accomplish the things which God, God has called you to do. When Peter uh, says that the governing authorities are sent by God to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right, it means that they are there to keep order. And we need to respect them because they are from God. Uh, even when they are obviously not the best government leaders that could be imagined. And so we should go out of our way to submit to the governing authorities unless we are clearly sinning in doing so. So now I want to go on to uh, the, the second section here about submission of slaves to masters. Uh, this, again, is not an easy subject uh, for Americans uh, to discuss, especially as we think about the trauma of our nation in having once been bitterly divided over the institution of slavery. And still today, uh, racial inequities that uh, are the consequence of that former national sin still haunt and trouble us. And it, it might be tempting to deal with the subject by applying this text uh, to this, the situation that exists between an employer and an employee. Uh, while this is a valid application of this, this text, uh, um, if, if, but it's important that we are careful to note the actual differences between uh, a slave and an employee. And I'll do that a little bit later. But if we just apply it that way, then we miss what the text actually specifically says. Peter writes, 
Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Well, I do not believe that either Peter or Paul or anyone else in the Bible justifies the institution of slavery. Peter does clearly command that slaves must obey their masters even when they are not kind masters. Although we may feel sympathetic to all those who suffer under the yoke of slavery, it's precisely Peter's point that that slaves should obey and not rebel against or run away from their masters. Now, other places in Scripture does say that if if a slave can obtain their freedom, then that's a good thing. Uh, But still, the teaching of Scripture was that at that time they were to submit to their master. Now, it's a complicated subject, but I know, and we won't go into all the details. But still, Peter writes as one acquainted with persecution, and he does not take the subject of the yoke of slavery lightly, nor is he seeking to encourage this practice. But he wants slaves to show themselves to be like their Savior Jesus, who bore unjust beatings and lived out the principles that he taught, such as turning the other cheek and loving one's enemies. So let me reread a lengthy portion of our text that I think really doesn't need a whole lot of exposition. Uh, Just reading it carefully, we can understand its meaning. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrow when he is suffering unjustly, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and you suffer for doing it, patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to God, who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. Whether or not you are a slave, you are like Jesus if you suffer unjustly, and yet you do not retaliate with anger and threats, or violence. If you suffer for doing wrong, or you do, or you render wrong for wrong, then you suffer as the unbeliever suffers. As believers, you ought to desire to, to be like Christ. Uh, Jesus did no wrong, yet suffered a sinner's death to purchase the redemption of all who placed their trust in him, to take away the sins of, of all of his people. Not only does this death purchase your salvation, but it enables you to trust in him to live for righteousness, to live even when persecution comes upon you and life is difficult. That means the work of Christ enables you to put away sinfulness and to have mastery over the sinful impulses within you that cause you to rebel against whatever authority that exists over you. It also means that Christ commands submission to wicked leaders in authority. When he does that, he himself is acquainted very personally with the misery that often follows such submission. 
since nowadays there are no slaves in the strict sense uh, of what we see in the ancient world, at least not legally. I guess I've heard recently that there are actually um, quite a large number of people stuck in, in the sort of illegal um, flesh trade um, in, in the United States who are in a kind of sense slaves, but not not very much in the way that they, these kinds of, of it's totally illegal and totally wrong and those people do have a, a right and a, uh, appropriate to leave that kind of situation so uh, uh, nowadays though we don't have the strict kind of slaves that, that we see here in the ancient world but we can apply this situation to employer and employee which was not as common as it was today um, you don't need to you do need to see that submitting yourself to your employer and um, and recognize that when you do, and you're on the clock, that your employer owns you to a certain extent. Uh, so you should always have a more of non-rebellious attitude towards them, even when you're maybe unfairly treated or overworked. At the same time, you also need to recognize that those whom Peter addresses are, are pretty much stuck as uh, being a slave and couldn't sort of quit or change jobs or... Um, could be beaten and had no higher court of appeals, though in rare cases, uh, slaves, as I mentioned earlier, could obtain their freedom. Um, God calls us to mission, submission into, to, uh, to those authorities in our lives, uh, and yet, uh, again, our situation with the slaves in, in the ancient times is a little bit different. So it's true for slaves uh, that, that they had to have a humble and submissive heart towards their often uh, abusive masters. Uh, if it is true that Jesus bore unjust abuse on the cross, uh, so should you also be willing to maintain a proper attitude towards uh, your employer. This is especially true if we remember that you, by your actions, give witness to Christ so that living such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. So that brings us to the last relationship of submission in our text, submission of wives to husbands. That's, of course, a big topic, and we could spend a lot of time thinking about that, but we're going to just go through this quickly this evening. It's yet another uh, difficult topic to speak about here in America, uh, where the, the feminist movement was, was nurtured and spread uh, throughout the world. Probably the key words or word for these verses that should probably raise some eyebrows come to us in verse 1 and of chapter 3 that says, In the same way, now while wives should certainly not be equated with slaves, it's a very different relationship, Peter instructs women that the character of their submission should also be the same as that of slaves. Now, having said that, real quickly, maybe what's maybe even more surprising is that the words in the same way show up in verse 7, where it speaks to the husbands in their role to be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Of course, that in the same way, referring back to uh, the attitude which uh, wives have towards their husbands. In other words, something about the character of the husband and his role needs to be the same as the wife and her role, which needs to be the same as a slave in his role. Now the key really is to look at the passage regarding the slave and see that Christ is at the center of it. 
Uh, he is the supreme example of a servant who all must follow, regardless of what your station in life may be. While we certainly cannot assume his role as Savior, we may all, in our relationships, assume the role of a servant, the role of a slave uh, to those with whom we have relationships. Now, obviously, it does not mean to say that the lines of authority are, are limited in society or in the family or in the church or wherever. But it does say that even when it's uncomfortable for us, when our impulses are driving us in, to rebellion or domination, even when we feel fear, we are to look and act like Christ. Look at his example as a servant and to the power that his work gives to us to act as his obedient children. Looking at the situation of a wife to husband, the text is rather candid. It's, it acknowledges the fact that a wife is physically weaker than her husband and acknowledges that a woman, however, must submit to her husband even when it is difficult. The whole book deals with those who suffer persecution for being faithful to God, and there is no reason to think that Peter is instructing women whose husbands, only instructing women whose husbands are kind and respectful. The fact that Peter urges them to obey so that if any of them do not believe, I mean the, the, the uh, husbands, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. And this tells us that a major concern for Peter was that believing wives needed to obey even when unbelieving husbands were not so considerate. Uh, a woman in this Greek society uh, in, uh, where Peter is, to, uh, is writing um, would have been expected to simply accept uh, the religion of her husband and her rejection of her husband's religion in favor of Christianity would not generally be taken very happily. Greek men may have expected their wives to act or dress in lewd or in immoral ways. Um, yet Peter calls them here uh, to, to live in such a way, to dress in such a way, with purity and reverence in their lives. And not being this way might have not gone over well with uh, their husbands, resulting in troubles for Christian women married to unbelievers. However, living... A, a pure life, not nagging her husband that he might become a believer, but rather having unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. This would also have the possible effect of it in the end, winning her husband to Christ without a word, by, not by nagging, but by living a holy life in front of her husband that he might come to respect the word which she believes keeping the desire for unbelievers to glorify God in the day he visits. Wives of unbelievers must submit to their husband to seek their salvation. This is not the only reason uh, to do so, of course. Peter appeals uh, to the example of Sarah in the Old Testament, how Sarah had in respecting her husband Abraham and how it was that through submission that she made herself beautiful. Uh, Peter bases uh, this command for wives to submit to their husbands not upon the culture of that day or accepted wives, the, uh, the, accepted the role of, of wives in Greek society, but the pattern that existed throughout the Bible in regard to the relationships of husbands 
and wives. Paul says more about this in, in his letters, and you can read about that in, in other places like um, Ephesians 5. The point of the text then is this simple, that while adorning oneself outwardly may be of some value if it's not excessive, God calls women, including those uh, here, to adorn themselves with submission to their husbands and having a gentle and quiet spirit, even if it's very difficult for you to do so, even if it's painful. Jesus knows the meaning of suffering unjustly, but commands this subjection. While there are times when a Christian woman, normally with the help of the leaders of the church, uh, for her to remove herself and her children from an abusive situation, uh, this should be considered a more of a rare exception, and even this done without a rebellious spirit. This kind of submission is good for the family and protects the marriage from divorce. Now, I do want to emphasize this. Some women might have the, the idea that submission means suffering physical and verbal abuse from a husband and never telling about it to anybody is something that's commanded here. But remember, husbands also are under authority. Um, they are member, If they're members of the church, elders in the church have authority over them and need to know if there are serious problems in the home that they may bring uh, discipleship uh, to um, the, the husbands. Uh, husbands abuse themselves when they abuse their wives or children. If they are not members of the church... Uh, they are still members of society and under the subjection of the government, which is mentioned here. In this nation, the, the government has passed laws against certain kinds of abusive behavior, and should men transgress these laws, they should be reported to the authorities that the authorities may also do their jobs. Additionally, as we see in this last verse, husbands are not to take the command to, uh, of, of wives to submit to them as an endorsement, to treat their wives as slaves. When Paul deals with the subject of submission elsewhere, such as in Colossians 3, uh, 18 through 4, 1, he gives instructions both to those who are in subjection uh, and those in leadership. And Peter, the only leaders addressed in this passage are husbands. He doesn't really address the, the government leaders, doesn't even lift masters, but he does address husbands when discussing this uh, relationship of submission. And this is certainly for two reasons. First, because there are probably very few masters or government leaders in his audience. And second, even though Peter's main focus is on those who suffer persecution, husbands might easily hear these instructions for their wives to submit and quickly forget their need to be kind, loving um, uh, husbands who seek to serve their wives as well. Wives and under their husband's authority are partakers and heirs with you of the gracious gift of eternal life and need to be respected as such that there might not be turmoil in the family and your relationship with God and your prayer life might not be disrupted. It mentioned there at the end uh, how it is that you have to be kind as husbands with your wives in order that your prayer life might not be disrupted. You know, if there is a lot of contention in the home, if there is tension between husband and wife, um, if there's a lot of fighting, it tends to eat up your attention, and it's difficult to do things like focus on prayer. 
And so as I close this evening, uh, let me remind you of the title of the sermon, The Joy of Submission. Now at this point we've talked a lot about submission in the context of persecution or, or hardship. And this doesn't sound like something that we would typically associate with joy. Maybe, maybe you're thinking to say, oh, Mike, you know, maybe sorrow and submission would be a better title for the, the sermon. In fact, you know, there's even alliteration there. You, 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 you preachers, you like that. You know, s, you know, S and S. You know, sorrow, submission. Okay, that, that would be a better title, wouldn't it be? Well, certainly, our, our, our sinful natures certainly do not take joy in submitting to everyone, anyone. And all of us, regardless of where we are um, in society or in the relationship with the church or with our, our spouse, we do have to submit to somebody. Now, it doesn't feel good sometimes to follow instructions that we're given. It's not easy. It goes against our impulses. But joy does occur in submission when we submit to Christ. And his spirit transforms us and frees us to live for righteousness. If submission is a struggle for you, and really, if we're honest, it's a struggle for each of us here, plead with Christ that he might save you, that might transform your heart, and give you delight to submit even when it is difficult for you, so that we might reflect the character of your wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the submission of Christ, which saves you. And so each of us here this evening should desire in their deepest heart to be able to reflect that submission in our lives by the grace of God, because we can't do it of ourselves. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, oh, we confess that by nature we are sinners, we are rebels, we do not want to submit to anything, not to the laws of our nation or to your laws, Lord. Father, give us a submissive heart. Cleanse us from our rebellion. Give us joy in following you, even uh, sub submitting ourselves to uh, authorities in our lives that don't have our interests in mind. Uh, Father, we know these things are difficult, and yet you call us to these difficult things to glorify your name. Oh, Father, we know that whatever you ordain is right, even when it isn't easy for us. Give us wisdom that we might uh, live uh, in submission in ways that, that glorify you, but also let us not submit when um, it, we should do so out of fear of punishment and not out of a desire to glorify you. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would obey you rather than men, even when it is difficult. Father, uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.